Welcome to Farm and Fiddle, the radio program that celebrates and explores rural life for today and tomorrow. Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. on KOPN 89.5 FM and KOPN.org. And it's where the birds and the bees and the donkeys and the fiddles all come together. I'm your host, Margot McMillan, and we're all glad that you're here, too. Thanks for listening. Well, hello, folks, and welcome to the Farm and Fiddle podcast. This podcast is an interview with Pong Tian, who is the plant diagnostician and uh, director at the Plant Pathology Lab, University of Missouri, Columbia. Pong's going to tell us what the lab does and what kinds of signs we can look for in our plants as we move from a very wet spring to a very hot summer. This interview first aired on May 11th, 2022 on KOPN 89.5 FM in Mid-Missouri and KOPN.org on the World Wide Web. I'm your host, Margot McMillan, and uh, let's just get started. Pong, could you just t- start out by by just telling us what the Plant Diagnostic Clinic does? Okay. Uh, first, just a quick uh, personal introduction. Uh, my name is Pong Tian. I'm the lab director of MU Plant Diagnostic Clinic. Our clinic is a part of MU Extension. Uh, we offer services including the plant disease diagnosis, identification of turf grass diseases weeds and uh, insects. So we serve all the stakeholder and the Missouri uh, uh, civilians and also research groups, commercial growers, farmers, uh, and we take sample from different um, uh, different uh, groups, uh, in, including uh, the field crop growers, ornamental uh, growers, or landscape or horticulture crops growers. So uh, the interesting thing is that you never know what sample you're gonna uh, receive every morning. So it's an exciting job for us. That's great. Okay, so uh, people come to your lab and just bring you a plant and say, what's wrong with it? Uh, Yes, Ben. Uh, Some people prefer to just drop off samples uh, to my lab so we can have a kind of interaction. Sometimes the problem can be fixed on-site, uh, just in like 10 minutes or 15 minutes. Sometimes people who uh, live far away from Columbia, Missouri, they may need to ship the sample to my lab. So that will be uh, associated with open the package and give the phone call to the client to require more information and then perform all the tests to, to do the diagnosis. Okay, so, um, well, let's say that Somebody sends you a tomato plant that just isn't thriving. It's just collapsed. And uh, 
Well, I guess one question I should ask is how, how would we package that if we were going to mail it to you? Um, how, how would we get it to you in shape that you could tell anything? That's a very good question. Um, in the first year of my, um, my employment, which is 2021, I um, give a uh, kind of 45 minutes webinar uh, for how to uh, pack samples, how to submit samples, how to interact with the lab. It's 45 minutes webinar. It's really long, but it's the, the whole webinar was uploaded on the website. Uh, I know um, most of people don't have uh, such much time to look at it. I therefore my lab assistant and I made a four minutes video to brief the whole process of how to submit the samples. And this, all the videos are available on our website. You can search MU Plant Diagnostic Clinic and on the front page, you will see the, uh, the, uh, the YouTube link. To address your question, for submit a sample, especially for uh, tomato sample, if there are young seedlings, you can use one Ziploc bag to zip the soil and the roots, and then a bigger Ziploc bag to pack the whole sample and put it in the small box, fill up with uh, papers, uh, paper towel, or uh, kind of like um, air pillow things to fix it. And don't forget about submission for it, which is the medical history of my patients. So uh, pack them and ship to me. It's it would be best to send a sample early in the week so I can receive the in the middle of the week. Mm -hmm. uh, you, um, because I, I always said that delay is equal to decay. So um, sometimes the sample will be left in the mailing processing center for the whole weekend due to the summer temperature in me arrive rot, rotten. Um, and uh, for some bigger plants, uh, like a tree sample, like a evergreen tree sample, um, I will need, um, I would like to talk with the clients to, uh, to figure out what's the problem it is. Then uh, normally we require branch, uh, branches and twigs, sometimes uh, leaves or needles, and uh, same thing, pack them with Ziploc bag shipped to me. So that's pretty much. Uh, and uh, I would say the more, the merrier. So if you send me more samples, I, it will give me better understanding about what's going on. And also uh, uh, the dead sample cannot tell any story. <laughs> Completely dead sample and complete healthy sample cannot tell anything. I will need some sample shows the symptoms and uh, it would be best to show the intermediate level of the disease, like not completely dead, and not completely healthy. Okay, I get it. And you are listening to Farm and Fiddle. This is an interview with Pong Tian, who is a plant diagnostician at the University of Missouri Plant Diagnostic Pathology Lab and uh, part of the extension. It's, they have a wonderful website. If you just Google M University of Missouri Plant Diagnostic laboratory, you will find the information on uh, how to get to the lab. If you want to take some samples in, if you're close enough in mid-Missouri, they're right there in Columbia. Um, and also how to, as he said, there's a video on how to package if you're going to mail them in. The part about the roots, very important, as you will hear Pong speak. He, he will remind us that 
many diseases start with the root system. So let's go back to that interview with Pong Tian. And this is Farm and Fiddle. I'm Margot McMillan. Thanks for listening. Um, what? I don't know even where to start, which, which plant to ask you about the most, but, um, what do you get the most of? Do you get more trees or more tomatoes or what, what more flowers? What do people send you mostly? So Missouri, uh, has been, is located in the Middle West. So we have huge, uh, agriculture industry, um, field crop. And uh, we plant soybean, we plant corn and wheat here. So every year I receive lots of samples from field crops. At the same time, I receive a lot of ornamental samples. Uh, sometimes they're from nursery, sometimes they're from landscape company like turf grass, boxwoods, magnolia, those uh, ornamental, woody ornamental, um, such as evergreen trees, spruce, pine, juniper, that also take uh, the second uh, biggest part. Um, then that will be followed by uh, vegetables and the fruit trees. Vegetable will be tomato, pap pepper, cucumber, squash, watermelon. Fruit trees will be um, blackberry, blueberry, apple trees. Uh, so those kind of cover the most of the sample I receive. Sometimes I receive some really strange sample like uh, insect ID. I do insect ID. Some people send me bed bug to identify. <laughs> and sometimes uh, people also send me some like uh, um, spiders uh, for me to ID. Uh, at the same time, we also take weed samples. Some people see some weeds growing in the lawn. They become really concerned. So they send the weeds to us for identify to see whether there's any chemical to control the weeds. Uh-huh. Okay, so it, that's really interesting because some people are getting interested in uh, native plants now, which other folks think are weeds. So do you ever get a situation where somebody sends you like a, um, oh, I don't know, a nettle, let's say, and says, how do I get rid of this weed? But other people think oh, it's an edible. We want, we want more of it. I learned a new word. It's called a no mo may. <laughs> this so basically, uh, it's kind of like an activity or events that people are encouraged to not to mow their lawn in May to encourage the native weeds grow up so that they can flower and serve and attract all the pollinators, the insects to give shine the beauty to to the Missouri land. So that's kind of like activity. More and more people are starting doing that. Definitely sometimes HOA, they don't like that. <laughs> they would need you to, to, to definitely mow the uh, law. The other thing is that it's really interesting because people use different um, grass for their lawn. Uh -huh. And uh, that's sometimes very subjective. If you, this grass is different with my grass, that's weeds. But this week using the other lawn and their other grass, right? So it's very interesting thing to, to, to put in this way. And some people even plant invasive uh, grass for producing seeds or producing hay, which was clearly stated in the Missouri Department of Conservation that it's not good. But people still do that. 
So it's turned to be very, I would say, a little bit subjective uh, for weed, uh, tur uh, turf grass, or invasive. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. It, there are some places where, you know, when an invasive pops up, I'll let it go because I think, well, it's, it's holding the soil down in that place. And uh, it, if you mow it, it's, it's not going to spread. At least that's been my experience. Um, and some, some invasives my livestock like to eat. So I, I don't worry about them because I know the livestock are going to eat it if, if they can get to it. Even poison ivy, they'll, you know, they'll eat. So it's very interesting. Okay. Well, needless to say, we aren't going to be able to settle that discussion with just a brief interview, but something, it's some food for thought. One person's weed is another person's um, uh, native or ornamental. I did want to identify one thing that Pong said, and that is HOA. I had to look that up. That's the Homeowners Association. So if you live in a subdivision where there is an HOA, you know what he means, that there are certain standards that the homeowners have to uh, abide by. Uh, anyway, let's go back to that conversation. With Pong Tian, plant diagnostician at the University of Missouri Plant Pathology Lab. Well, um, let's say that somebody sends you something. Um, I can I can use my own example because I sent you some uh, some plants, some and it was tomatoes actually. That uh, we had no idea what had happened to them, and you all eventually um, diagnosed it as uh, herbicide drift from, you know, from another farm. Um, how, how did you, how do you begin to analyze what's going on with a plant? I wish you can visit my lab this afternoon. Oh, I know that yeah. next time I'm going yeah. to. So basically my lab is called a diagnostic clinic. Mm -hmm. So our patients are plants. Every time we go to visit our doctor, we talk uh, talk with our doctor. A doctor will ask questions and they will do some tests like blood tests or, or blood pressure tests and then look at your symptoms. So in my lab, it's basically very similar uh, for uh, treating human. The only difference is that the plants, they don't talk. So how to get them talking? I think submission form will be really good information sheets I use that as a medical history. I look at this, the submission form to see how many plants affected, what a percentage, like 20% affected or 50% affected. How long have the, the this plant have this problem? Mm -hmm. Like two years or two weeks? Uh -huh. uh, when was the first time you saw the symptoms? And what did you apply? You applied herbicide, you applied pesticide, fungicide, um, fertilizer, anything. So those information can give me a really good start point to perform diagnosis. The next step, I will turn to the plant. I will examine the plant to see whether like, a, like the tomato plant, whether it has wilting issue, root rot issue, 
stem dieback issue or whether it has leaf spots or leaf lesion or stem lesion. So those can give me an idea to determine whether the disease is caused by chemical fertilizer burn or um, a cold damage or some biotic like fungal pathogen, bacteria pathogen, virus, or nematode. So those two steps are very important for me, kind of help me to narrow it down to see what I, to, what I need to do next. Mm -hmm. Then I, if I still have a question, I would give a phone call to the client to ask a detailed questions. For your case, your, uh, your plants, there is a large portion of the plant affected and there are many different plants that all have similar symptoms. And, uh, and also the other thing is, this is the time of the year that always I receive different sample has similar issue. So those factors, if I connected those dots, I can generate to my initial hypothesis. With this hypothesis, next step, I gonna test anything that can be related to plant diseases like biotic diseases so that I can rule it out. Okay, this is not a bacteria. This is not a fungal. This is not a virus. And then go back to my hypothesis mm -hmm. and then kind of like consolidate my, my hypothesis. Okay, this is herbicide damage or this is fertilizer burn or this is something else. Mm -hmm. And you are listening to a, an interview with Pang Tian, who is a plant diagnostician at the University of Missouri-Columbia's Plant Pathology Lab. This was first aired on KOPN 89.5 FM and KOPN.org. You can hear Farm and Fiddle at 6 p.m. Central Time on Wednesday evenings on 89.5 FM or KOPN.org. This edition aired on May 11, 2022. I am your host, Margo McMillan, and we'll go right back to that interview. Okay, so this is May. Um, what kinds of questions are you getting now? This year, we had a lot of rain. Uh, I believe in the majority of Missouri, we have a lot of rain and temperature has been fluctuated a lot, um, but most of the time it's very cool. So uh, with the cool and wet, it is a favorite um, condition for different fungal diseases. So far this year, uh, most of fungal disease I received are from evergreen. So the evergreen, they just survived the, the winter um, uh, coldness. And in the spring, um, they started showing the fungal pathogen become active. So they started um, feed on the plants causing tip dieback, or needle blights, or stem dieback. So those evergreen started showing some symptoms. I would say, for uh, the deciduous tree, because they are flowering and they are uh, leafing out. It's not yet the time, but if you wait for one month, a different fungal pathogen will become very active. 
So they, they, those trees will be the next host for those fungal pathogens. And since this is also the beginning of the year, um, so far I also received some sample from greenhouse because they always have problems. It's nothing to do with the weather. They have the, those irrigation um, problems causing the root rot. And sometimes they have the light or the, the temperature control. Those environment factors can boost the emergence of the plant diseases. So, so far, that's pretty much what I received. The other part would be the weeds, the winter weeds. They, they keep, um, they will be green uh, during the winter. Mm -hmm. And now there will be maybe one month or maybe one and a half months towards the harvest season. So now some virus problems showed up. Those virus problems basically was initiated from the last year. There's a certain type of mites. They carry the virus, and while they're eating the feeding, they were feeding on the wheat. They transmit the virus into the wheat. Since the wheat is was going through the winter season, the symptom didn't show up until now because it's getting warmer and the wheat starting to grow bigger and bigger. And then the symptoms showed up like yellow patches across the whole field. You can basically see that. So basically disease will not happen, was not happening now. They were already happened last year and symptoms showed up this year. So I received some samples, some wheat samples. So this is basically the first uh, three or four months what I've been uh, receiving. Yeah. So. Tell us, what does a fungus look like if somebody um, was out looking at their, you know, whatever, their ornamentals or their grapevines or something, is there something they would see that would be, a, that they could say, oh, this is a fungus? I would say fungus will be the, uh, the easiest one to identify. And because bacteria, they're basically um, like the same. And you can only observe the bacteria on the microscope. Virus is invisible. You cannot see virus. And okay. for fungus, there are different types and there are different level of observing them. You can, some fungus allows you to use your naked eyes. Some fungus you need to look at a user hand lens. Some fungus you have to use microscope, no matter it's compound microscope or dissecting microscope. I can give you a couple examples. One of the fungus is called a, a pear rust. So it normally showed up on the uh, calorie uh, or Bradford uh, uh, pear, if I said the name wrong, <laughs> excuse me. So, so this pear tree has been considered invasive. Pear tree have been kind of like growing everywhere in Missouri. Yeah. But now they have finished blooming. They are already leafed out, but if you wait for about one month, they started showing leaf spots. And uh, the leaf spot can cover the whole leaves. But every time you take the one leaf out, flip it, look at the underside, you will see their fungal structure. They're like a spikes growing out from each, uh, each lesion. That's the actually, those fun fungus, uh, it builds up a channel to shoot out spores. And those spores can be released and disperse and transmit to the other plants. That's how they are doing the, the uh, asexual stage. So they will can, during the season with a good or favorable uh, condition, 
they can continuously infect the new plants, new leaves, and then um, keep this cycle running. Okay. You know, Pong, um, when you started talking about the pear, the pear fungus, yeah. I thought, I'm going to, I haven't looked at my pear trees this year. I'm going to go out and look at them. What color would that little round uh, spot be? The first noticeable uh, lesion will be a reddish uh, spot. Um, sometimes maybe irregular. Uh, most of the time they're a little bit round and uh, they're red. They're uh, pretty red and may have some yellow halo. Once you have those lesions, uh, those spots, um, wait just a couple more weeks because they need to be um, uh, fully mature to generate those fungal structure. And those big fungal structure, you had to flip the leaf, look on their side to see them. I see. So I have seen those spots on different kinds of trees. Um, I, I'm sure I've seen them on my pears, but what would you do if you had the, I just sort of ignore them. I, but what should I be doing? Ignoring them would be a great way because because oh. <laughs> okay. uh, as long as you you can get over it, that would be the best because those those plant pathogen will come every year and uh, normally they will only cause minor cosmetic issue. Very rarely they will kill the, the plants. I would say the foliar disease will be the easiest one to get over, easiest one to control uh, comparing with the vascular disease or root rot. Foliar disease will be uh, the least uh, to be concerned. I love that piece of advice because ignoring stuff is my go-to way of <laughs> way yes. of handling handling things. Some disease, like a pounder mildew, you will see some 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 plants. The leaves supposed to be green, but on the surface, you saw those fluffy and cottony look like a powdery thing on that, uh, that's another fungus. And if you use hand lens, you can even see the small structure uh, on, the, on this one. They were like, I would say, they, they grow, they grow uh, like, uh, how to call it? They were crawling on the surface of leaves. And once they get mature, they will grow vertically and, uh, in it, uh, and form a stalk. On the top of the stalk, they will line up those sports one by one, one by one. It's like you are holding a stack of cups on your hand. It's really hot, tall stack of the cups and you are holding it. And one day it will collapse. And which is what the powder middle wants. Because once it collapsed, all the spore will be splashed to the other leaves and then they will transmit it to other plants. So they're actually waiting for the wings blowing or the rain splash so that they can amplify their population. So those are very interesting. This is how they disperse the, their, um, uh, their spores. So there are definitely lots of uh, insect, uh, lots of pathogen you have to use microscope. And sometimes you may not see them uh, directly. You have to take the plant tissue and put on the nutrient agar, which is a petri dish. We put the fungus food inside it. It's like a jelly jelly things. So we call that uh, media and we feed them. So 
I mean, instead of feeding them with salad, we make smooth for them. So they're going to enjoy it. So once we bait them, they're going to grow out on the media. And that's the time we can take some to look at on the microscope. Because some, like a vascular disease, they, they were deep into the, the stem. So when you open up, you can only see the black streaking or brown streaking, but you cannot see any uh, fungus. So this way, by baking them and feed them with good food and let them grow, so we can take a look on a microscope. Uh, okay. So um, are there are there diseases that you see coming our way, or that are that already here, or insects that we should tell people like watch for this or watch for that? Things that would can't be ignored. Right. So um, I would say based on the sample submission, um, all the disease follow our a schedule. So basically uh, some, some diseases showed up early in the season, some disease showed up in the middle season, and some disease showed up in the winter. Uh, and uh, there are some disease to, to really look out. Uh, first, uh, due to a lot of rain this year, and uh, there will be a lot of rural disease. If you have a rural disease, you need to identify what type of rural disease it is. If it's a Pythian or Rhizoctonia, those fungal disease, uh, are, I will call them mild. But, but if you have Phytophthora disease, those disease will exist in the soil for extended period of time. So if your plant unfortunately died, you want to plant in the same spot, the same plants, I would recommend you to wait for uh, to rest the soil, okay. for, and then it will be recommended to plant another uh, plants like vegetables in the same spot, because with your current plants, if it died, um, it's already established the population, help establish the population on the pathogen in the soil, and if you plant the same type of cultivar or plants in the same spot again, we're gonna to continue to feed them so that the population pathogen or disease pressure will be will increase drastically. So it's better we do what we call crop rotation if you have rural disease. That can help you to reduce the disease pressure. That's for the rural disease. And uh, I would say for, um, um, my lab also had another responsibility to look for the invasive disease. Okay. So we just talked about a little bit invasive plants, but there's some invasive pathogen or invasive pest that it can potentially cause a lot of economic loss. So for field crop, we're actually looking for a disease called a tar spot, T-A-R, tar spot. So we send out the uh, field specialists to scout for disease through the year. For, for soybean, we're actually looking for, look for the Cicospora uh, leaf blight, which is a fungal pathogen also. In addition to that, there are some other new disease. One is Gauss's wilts, another is called bacterial leaf streaking. That's all from corn. So this is for the field crop. For landscape, we have uh, for one disease called a boxwood blight. Uh, especially for landscape company, that's a nightmare. So it's really hard to control. Mm. And, uh, and uh, anytime we have this, uh, it just uh, um, kill the plant really fast. 
So boxwood blight and a boxwood dieback, uh, those are all really bad disease for boxwoods. Also for uh, wood, uh, woody ornamental, uh, like a like some cherry tree or some other, even some some perennial or uh, annual, those plants, there's a disease that can affect a really broad uh, range of the uh, plant. It's called phytophthora root rots. This disease was highly regulated. That's why the Missouri Department of Agriculture, they were doing screening work to Home Depot or uh, Lowe's or local nursery. As long as they find the positive, they have destroyed all the plants. So they don't want to introduce this this pathogen into uh, into the states. For all the homeowner, there's nothing you 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 need to worry about. That's government job to to guard okay. guard all of us. But if you are a commercial grower, you really need to pay attention to this. So those are some diseases I would recommend people to look out. And also for the pest, there's one thing. It's called a spotty lanternfly. Uh, some people are uh, there. There is some potential um, potential threats from this these flies because uh, they have been spotted in uh, Indiana somewhere in Kansas. So it's very close. So once this one can um, be detected in Missouri, uh, this insect can cause a lot of uh, damage, especially for a vineyard for the grape, and sometimes it can cause problem for other ornamentals. And you're listening to Farm and Fiddle on KOPN 89.5 FM and KOPN.org on the World Wide Web. This is a conversation with Pong Tian, who is a plant pathologist. He is the extension specialist serving as director of the Plant Diagnostic Center at the University of Missouri. And uh, if you get on their website, the you could just Google University of Missouri Plant Diagnostic Clinic. You will find a lot about the lantern fly that he just talked about. And of course, if you see one, uh, get in touch with the Plant Diagnostic Clinic. And let's get back to that conversation. Uh, I'm for invasive or for new disease. I just have one suggestion. If you see anything that's you never seen before, or if you see anything that you think it's not normal or, or weird, <laughs> uh, keep us, the MU Plant Diagnostic Clinic or Missouri Department of Conservation, Missouri Department of Agriculture posted. Uh, maybe you have found something very new to the state. So always look out and always report, and that will help us to guard our states and help protect our agri- uh, agriculture and uh, horticulture, and also ornamental and landscape industries. Pong, thank you so much. This Your advice has been just excellent. Um, are you a gardener or are you a planter? I am not. I think <laughs> I, I don't have the, what do we call the magic finger or green finger? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The green- all the plants who arrived to my lab would be a kind of like a dead end. So no patient walk out from my lab. <laughs> so, so I I know I know the the disease, but I'm I don't think I'm a good gardener. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I wondered because you know sometimes when you work in a field, you just like on the weekends 
you just want to get away from it. And I didn't know if you if you were one that just couldn't wait to get back to your garden or not. Yeah, that's why some doctor can be very knowledgeable than his patient, but but he may not be as healthy as his patient. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Well, thank you, sir. I really appreciate, and I really appreciate your work. And uh, thank you, Miss Margot. It was so nice to talk with you. Oh, thank you. And that was an interview with Pong Tian plant diagnostician at the Plant Pathology Lab, University of Missouri-Columbia. The interview first aired on Farm and Fiddle, May 11th, 2022, on KOPN 89.5 FM in Mid-Missouri and KOPN.org on the World Wide Web. I'm your host, Margot McMillan, and thanks for listening.